Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Mariah Barnhart, and she's with the Florida Department of Agriculture, the Hemp Advisory Committee. We're going to talk a little bit about what she's doing there, as well as her long involvement in the cannabis industry and her personal story about getting involved in cannabis. So I'm excited to talk about that. I'm excited to talk about uh, where she is at this point in terms of being involved in in the industry, in cannabis, uh, in hemp. Uh, and we're going to hear, hear a little bit about what she's working on and how all of this has came about. So with that, Mariah, welcome to the program. Hi, Bruce. Thank you so much for having me on. You're welcome. I know you've got a kind of a, a, a long connection to cannabis, or at least a multi-year connection to cannabis that starts with a very personal story. So I, I would like to talk about that and kind of understand how you know how you got involved, how it's kind of shaped your involvement in the industry. And then we can talk about some of the things you're doing today. I, I know you're involved in many different organizations at many levels. We could probably spend some time just listing them out, <laughs> but I would love to, you know, we can, we can kind of get into the why and the how, and I'm just kind of very curious to see kind of how you were plotting your professional course in, in cannabis, uh, given your background and familiarity and, and history. But why don't we start with the backstory? So, so tell us a little bit about how, how you became kind of connected to the cannabis world and we'll go from there. Sure. I mean, I think that 
in order to get really deep into activism, regardless of the subject matter, you kind of have to be an activist at heart. And I've been an activist my entire life for everything from female genital mutilation to homelessness here in the United States. So going into parenthood, never did I imagine that I would be picking up cannabis as a subject matter so close to home. But my daughter, Dahlia, was diagnosed with brain cancer at the age of two in 2013. And at this time, you know, the CNN documentaries and all of the media that's picked it up since then wasn't out yet. So there Mm -hmm. wasn't any information available on pediatric use of cannabis, especially for something like brain cancer. I, I could go, you know, into a lot of detail on her story, but I know we only have half an hour on this show today. Um, Her story is available on YouTube and I'll post links, you know, if that makes sense. But she was diagnosed with brain cancer in May of 2013. And she just was doing really poorly for a really long time. Surgery, chemotherapy and radiation are the only legal options, the only options available for children in the United States. Um, diagnosed with cancer. Mm-hmm. So for her, all three were going to be utilized. Um, she went into her first surgery immediately after diagnosis and came out partially paralyzed on her right side, unable to eat, walk, and talk. Yeah. Um, but the fact that she made it out alive was miraculous. So, you know, you just learn to be happy <laughs> regardless. And that's, I think, a really strong statement to where we are in medicine here in 2020 mm-hmm. is that we just take what we can get. We mm-hmm. don't really think outside of the box and we really don't understand that just you know, saving a life isn't always good enough because a lot of these children end up completely paralyzed in pain for the rest of their lives with latent cancers. Even the lucky few who make it out without organ damage and heart failure and death, the lucky children who do make it out alive um, live with lifelong side effects from these treatments. And for Dahlia, unfortunately, she suffered every single side effect that she could suffer from that first surgery all the way through to her first several months of very harsh chemotherapy for this aggressive brain cancer. And, you know, I went from Florida to Tennessee to have her entered into a research protocol at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. And those first few months of chemotherapy were horrific. Um, She was treated very aggressively and suffered just about every side effect that she could other than death. I mean, she had sores from the tips of her lips down her entire gastrointestinal tract. Mm -hmm. She, you know, often was stopping breathing and having to be intubated and often throughout treatment was intubated for different surgeries and treatments and arms boarded two years old, doesn't understand why she's going through this, Mm -hmm. why you're doing this to her can't reason with a child that age. There's no way to communicate that you're not intentionally torturing them. It was just a really, 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 you don't realize until you're in that situation how little freedoms we really have here in the United States Mm -hmm. and how little rights and options in the care of our own children we have. But the amount of suffering this little girl endured before I felt backed in a corner enough um, to take that step and to use cannabis illegally I just decided, you know, early on that no other parent should live with the same regrets I did because I saw immediate benefits. And had I known how safe and effective this medicine was, I could have saved her from so many months of so much suffering. She immediately slept through the night for the first time in her entire life, woke up hungry and thirsty, never had to get a feeding tube. I mean, her pain was minimized. She she just really became a child almost immediately, literally overnight. So she was three at the time we started her on cannabis and 
saw immediate benefits and decided right then and there that not only were we going to advocate to get these laws changed, but we were going to make sure that no other parent says, I'm living with the regret of letting my child suffer simply because I didn't know yeah. that this medicine was so safe and effective. Yeah, a hard story. I have a two-year-old at home, so I can only imagine what, what that was like. You know, as a parent, I mean, not only just as a, you know seeing a child go through that, but as the parent of the child, that how heart wrenching that must be. How did you discover cannabis? I mean, how how did that kind of become you know an option or a consideration? What happened to put that on the table? You know, so much of where we are today for me in my specific journey and with Dahlia is just a matter of place and time. And I feel so lucky that if you had to go through this inhumane, just horrible experience that it just happened to be in the right place at the right time, you know, in so many different ways. St. Jude, you know, saved her life multiple times, which wouldn't have happened had we stayed home in Tampa, Florida for treatment. Um, So much could have gone wrong. And cannabis was just one of those things that went right. Um, While there wasn't information on pediatrics, and even Israel wasn't dabbling really in pediatrics yet, there was enough information for adults benefiting from the use of cannabis for everything from MS to to cancer. And so based on that information, you know, with adults sending in this information of how no anti-emetics ever work for chemotherapy induced nausea and vomiting, we all know that there's a big medical mystery Mm -hmm. of cancer treatment, nausea and vomiting from chemotherapy really just can't be, um, can't be stopped. It can't be mitigated. And so cannabis does that. Cannabis is a great pain reliever, both high CBD and high THC products for different types of pain. Mm -hmm. We know that it breaks the blood brain barrier and theoretically, you know, in labs, it does kill cancer cells. And so it's both receptor dependent and non-receptor dependent. We know we had at that time, seven years ago, already studies on CBD even, but cannabis in general, enhancing cytotoxic uptake. We knew that the government patented it in the early 90s as a neuroprotectant. So not only is it protecting these healthy cells, but it's enhancing the cytotoxic uptake of chemotherapy or radiation into cancerous cells. So it has all of these benefits that just make sense for cancer treatment. But the hard part about it was there was nothing about children. There was no stories. There was no. And, you know, for me, more than the science, I wanted another human being whom I could connect with who could tell me that this was okay. And there really weren't many people who could hold your hand and do that at this time. In fact, even our nation's leading doctors, these subculturally famous doctors in cannabis today, seven years ago, either weren't in cannabis or or would not touch dosing with a 10 yard stick, especially for a child. Um, Raphael Mishulam was pretty much the only person at that time who would even, you know, venture to give me some type of dosing information, um, which was given just based on opinion as a person to a person, not any type of medical professional. Or So I didn't have a medical team. I didn't have doctors. It was just a very scary time and place seven years ago. But there was enough information, you know, adults sharing their stories and reaching out to me. And based on that, doing my own research, reaching out to Dr. El Soli and Dr. Raphael Mishulam and reading all of the research papers that I had access to, it just made sense. And it's the best decision I've ever made in my entire life. It re-empowered me as a parent and it helped her. And I believe that it helped save her life. Yeah. No, I'm sure. And so tell me about this community. I, I'm fascinated that, I mean, I, I get the, the the technical side, like you needed to have the, you know, the research and the data and the dosing and the modalities and like there's all this stuff around kind of logically, what do I need to do? But I, I think this whole kind of the emotional connection, the support to, to to work with, to connect with, to 
communicate with other people that are in that situation, other parents, other mothers. Tell me how that came about or how did you, how did you solve that problem? Because I think that's in some respect, if, if not harder, you know, at least just as hard to solve as the, the more kind of technical medical side. Yeah. Well, in um, late 2013, we've been advocating already, you know, since pretty much her diagnosis, mm-hmm. um, because whether I was going to use cannabis or not, as soon as I saw that the laws restricted my rights as a parent, yeah. I just jumped on the opportunity to try to advocate against that and to let people know while this story was being picked up on the news and nationwide media, I wanted to throw in there that we weren't being given options and rights in the care of our own children and that this safe and natural, not just alternative, but also just supplemental option wasn't being given to us. We were having to take it. We were having to take it often illegally. And that, you know, so not only am I dealing with the trauma of watching my daughter die and be resuscitated and rushed into emergency surgeries and fearing for her life, but now I'm up all night watching her breathe to ensure that she's breathing and looking out my window to watch for a SWAT team. It was just a really bad situation that I didn't want any other parent to ever have to find themselves in if I could benefit them through my own trauma and my own journey. And with that, early 2014, having met a couple of other families, specifically from Florida, the idea of Canamoms, um, which ended up being the first 501c3 federally approved nonprofit of its kind, helping children um, who use cannabis medicine in the United States, was that um, it was kind of twofold. In one sense, I immediately saw what Dahlia's story was doing. I had phone calls from politicians and families and other mothers, and Dahlia's doctor left St. Jude to go head up cannabis research. And she's moved on to two additional hospitals since then and has helped thousands of children with cannabis just because she saw Dahlia's story. Um, We didn't hide it. We didn't hide in the shadows. We were Mm -hmm. open and honest about it because I feel that any privilege you have in life, the point of that privilege is to utilize it to help other people garner that same privilege. And so I felt in a situation where I was close enough with her medical team, we all knew and understood how inhumane her situation was at the time, how much pain she was in, how little we were able to help her, that nobody was going to prosecute me at that time or turn me in even really for using cannabis in an illegal state. And because of that, I was able to be open with her medical professionals. And from there, her neuro-oncologist, who was not at all on board and didn't even really want to discuss cannabis, you know, a few months later, then leaves the world's leading children research hospital to head up cannabis research. Um, that was huge for mm-hmm. me and, and, and really showed me early on what sharing these stories was going to do. And I knew this was a federal issue. And if we're starting state by state, you know, we did want to come home to the state of Florida. So we did kind of, um, you know, create a blueprint in the state of Florida, starting Canamoms, you know, wanting other families to come together and help each other share our stories and just let you know, I'm not a medical professional. This is what I did with my own child. And if I were in your shoes, this is what I would do. And you get that, that story and those words from thousands of other families, you're able to make that leap of faith. You're able to make the next best decision for yourself and your child based on, you know, hundreds and thousands of other stories telling you, well, you know, most of the people with a child with this diagnosis did this. So I'm going to start here. This is how low, you know, just that kind of, because even medical professionals, the best scientists in the world don't have that information yet. Dosing isn't a scientific thing right now. So we're just at a place in history where, 
you know, bad politics led to bad science. We're not caught up in the medical community. And so sharing advice on what worked and did not work so that we can duplicate successes without replicating failures. Mm -hmm. That's a really important thing to do. But at the same time, those families who are sharing amongst each other, if we could get a few of those stories told in the spotlight, we knew that we could get laws changed because all your neighbor needs is to hear your story and their vote is changed. So that was really important. I'm curious how many how many families how many families does this impact? I mean, are we talking about you know dozens, hundreds, thousands? I mean, what? How, oh, there's how many? hundreds of thousands of yeah. families across the United States who have either used or lobbied for the use of cannabis medicine. And so the problem with that is is a lot of these people either want to be anonymous or don't end up using it or it doesn't work for their child, quote unquote, you know, maybe they're using one product and never trying another product. It was a very low THC product and they, you know, felt scammed or Mm -hmm. something to that effect. So this isn't a perfect thing right now, but we have so many thousands of families in every state helping push these laws that eventually those dominoes are going to fall. And this is, you know, I remember Steve D'Angelo, the first time he said, if we want this descheduled federally, we need to give a stage to the mom. Yeah. And we, I just immediately knew we were going to get along forever because I felt so strongly that I had watched this. Um, I had gone through, I had researched, I had looked up everything that had been tried to date, everything that failed, everything that worked, you know, how well did it work? Obviously not well enough, but in some states it was legal. So what did they do right? What did they do wrong? What can we learn from that? And honestly, these parents' stories were immediately changing. They were changing the minds of pastors and pastors' wives and very mainstream. I was having Republican, you know, extremely conservative politicians when this was still a partisan issue. Early on, this was hardcore Democrat partisan issue. Republicans didn't want to touch it. They didn't want to be near it. Democrats had picked it up as a party issue. And um, you had, you know, look at Matt Gates in the state of Florida now. If you yeah. look at Matt Gates in 2014 and look at his statements about, you know, hemp versus cannabis legislation or in Florida, low THC, quote unquote, versus MMJ legislation. And then you look at him in 2019, 2020. That's what this has done, in my opinion. What bringing these mainstream people out into the spotlight has done is it has made this a nonpartisan issue. It has made this a federal issue. And I believe that this state by state push from mainstream has has pushed those dominoes over. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think this is, I guess, how much do you think this is the sort of the legal side and how much do you think this is kind of the social, kind of the social acceptance side? I mean, where, where do you see the sort of the challenges or the resistance or the obstacles to really getting, getting, getting this in kind of more effective use uh, from a medical point of view? Well, from a medical point of view, I think that we're really seeing a wide acceptance. I think that the old school doctors who are completely unwilling to have an open mind and completely unwilling to learn new information, if you knew them as your uncle or, you know, as a good friend of the family, They'll say things like, I'm too old for this. I'm just not interested. It's not that I'm a bad person. It's not, it's just that this isn't what I went to school for. I'm going to retire in three years. I'm just not interested in picking up new stuff and new liability. Those people are on their way out. The new people, the people that, you know, are open-minded, are willing to to learn new information because they're going to be in practice for the next 30 or 40 years. I think that there's a wide acceptance amongst that community. So I think what we saw, like I said earlier, was bad politics led to bad science, which stifled 
medicine. And we've seen that in a lot of, you know, with women, we didn't 3D map the clitoris until a decade ago. It's still (laughs) not in medical textbooks. Exactly. That to me is like a perfect example of how politics and money based on what is and isn't important in society, where you're willing to spend your money and, you know, what society considers uh, valuable leads to the politics and then the politics in turn, you know, affects society. But I think that in the medical community, we're, we're seeing a much wider acceptance than, say, if we're trying to pass adult use. And with adult use in the state of Florida, what we're going to go after is basically in the South, people really like freedom and personal mm. freedoms are important, but people don't put two and two together. There's yeah. like this weird disconnect between, oh, you know, <laughs> you druggies with your drugs versus, you know, oh, me with my pistols and my beer and my, you know, mm-hmm. so we're in the South. So we're trying to be strategic here. Yep. And what's happened is. I was against passing a constitutional amendment in the first place because in the South, we don't amend the Constitution unless we have to. And so I didn't believe that, you know, there would be a lot of support for it. I wasn't very supportive of it. And I went to the politicians in early 2014 after we had, you know, spent months discussing this. And I said, look, I'm going to help you with this low THC bill and I'm going to garner support for it. In exchange, you have to help me pass broader legislation. You know, low THC isn't for everyone and it's not it's not the full picture. And so we got all those promises made and 2014 came and went, 2015 came and went. And, you know, eventually we said, okay, you've left us no choice. We're going to go pass this constitutional amendment. And we got all these mainstream moms out in full force. And we went to, like I said, pastors' wives were coming out and praying over the plants. And we created this really strategic black market that was no longer, you know, being organized and run by, you know, the stigmas and stereotypes of the past. Mm -hmm. Um, These are everyday, you know, very, very committed members of society coming in and saying, what can we do to help save this child? What can we do to help my husband who's suffering right now? These are just normal everyday members of society. And when you get those types of people realizing that laws are so bad that you have to break them in order to be a good human being, you've just changed the entire dynamic of society. And politicians have no idea how far and how deep that's going to affect what they're doing and how people are paying attention to what's happening in the government. So at this point, you know, we find we passed the constitutional amendment because they left us absolutely no choice. Mm-hmm. And they've done everything in their power that they can to stifle the will of the people since then. So they passed a no smoking ban and then they are trying to limit the THC level to 10 percent. They're doing all this goofy, silly stuff. They've had dozens of lawsuits against them that they've lost almost 100 percent of the time. And every time. But why are they doing that? I mean, what's their end end game is just to put up resistance or, or try to. Uh, yeah, keep it I mean, big? there's different. Everybody, this is what I was just explaining in an interview last week is, you know, we want to believe there's one big conspiracy, but it's it's a lot of little vested interests. Yeah, this yeah. guy over here has a brother in him. This guy over here has a big, huge donor to his pack. So everybody has a different vested interest that's leaning them one way or the other. And it's a really sad state of affairs. Even if cannabis never, ever affected you and you could care less about it, you better be paying attention to cannabis because it is the glaring example of how little the will of the people means to our elected officials. These people are elected specifically to fulfill our wills, and they are no longer interested in doing that. The interests of, you know, a few vested interests Mm -hmm. so far supersede the will of the masses and cannabis is going to go down in the history books as just an example the prime example 
of how corrupt this government was and how little the will of their constituents meant to them. Yeah. So do you still see it's possible? Or I guess do you still fight the good fight in terms of getting the laws changed, you know, continuing to push to see progress on this stuff? Or I mean, I guess what's the, where does that leave you? Yeah, well, what I've seen um, since the beginning, you know, seven years ago, there wasn't hemp oil available in the yeah. United States. There was some being imported. The CNN documentary came out, made Charlotte's Web real popular, and people didn't know that it was just hemp. And then there was like a 400 long wait list for it and it wasn't available anymore. And so what I started to see, you know, with community sharing the stories and, you know, lobbying for these law changes versus industry with big money, money coming in and paying politicians, you know, you using patients and caregivers and not giving back to the community. I saw that there was a real significant problem going on between community and industry. There was no bridge there. And so in trying to bridge community and industry, because I think in order to get these laws changed the way that we really, really need them changed on a federal level, descheduling statewide and and federally, Mm -hmm. I think that we're going to need to see a huge connection between community and industry so that we're hitting it at all angles, both the social, the emotional, the storytelling, the real, you know, everyday people coming out into the spotlight and the industry, the money the people who yeah. can, you know, help to fund initiatives and fund amendments and fund these community members going and telling their stories. This is a very expensive venture. Traveling yeah, all around sure. the United States for the seven years that I've done it, I can't tell you how emotionally draining. I'm fighting for my daughter's life. I shouldn't have to be fighting bad laws and then fighting a broken industry. I've gotten more yeah. headache and heartache from within cannabis oh. than from prohibitionists. And that's just the truth. Yeah. And so with that, you know, for me, it was starting Canamoms, feeling like, okay, we're going to go out there and we're going to change the world. Well, wait a minute. Where are the women in this industry? Where is this money going? They're, you know, changing these laws off the backs of these patients and caregivers and advocates and activists. So, you know, getting the women to the forefront of this industry was really important to me because I felt that adding that feminine touch, Mm -hmm. adding the women who deserve to be at the front of the line to the front of the line meant you're adding, you know, a sense of compassion. You're telling these stories from the people who are most heavily affected by them. These women are bringing those people out into the spotlight, pushing them onto platforms and giving them stages. And so for me coming home and doing a little research as an experiment, I started Women Grow Tampa Bay with some other really awesome women in my own city, just to kind of see who was in my local community that would come out of the woodworks who I hadn't already been connected to. Seeing that there wasn't hemp oil available and that now there was this big hype over hemp and none of it was USDA certified organic. None of it was, you know, tested, you know, really six years ago, five years ago. And so creating Dahlia's Botanicals from that. Um, and then watching these parents and specifically these mothers and Canna moms be so traumatized and so limited in their ability to care for themselves and, you know, women outside of the special needs community, even just that love has to be selfless and that you have to give every single ounce of yourself in order to ever truly love someone else. Yeah. And these women taking care of their children and then their spouses and then their elderly parents and never, ever taking care of themselves. And from there, starting high heel. And the whole idea behind that was that when women heal, the world will heal because yeah. women will heal the world, will heal, you know, the men and the children. Um, but we have to heal ourselves first. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and then watching, you know, the politicians continuously stifle the constitutional amendment that we passed. And, you know, some politicians call it loopholes what we're doing, but we're doing stuff like entourage. Um, we're going to be coming out with these 
social, social use clubs, you know, renting space in our venues Mm -hmm. for, for private clubs to be able to consume out in the daylight. They keep trying to push these patients back into their homes and tell them that they're further ostracized from society. They wouldn't pass policies in the school boards where even someone like my daughter could attend public school, even after we got it mandated through legislation. So at every stop, I feel like you see something, say something, but also do something. It's really important that if we really believe that this needs to be descheduled and that this is a federal issue, even if we're looking state by state, because those are the dominoes that are pushing the issue, right? We have to bridge the community and the industry. We have to stop letting people from other industries come in with their money and completely take over, or this industry is going to be like every other industry, and we're never going to see this government change. The corruption in the government is going to change when we change industry. And this could be the first industry that we're creating different from all the other industries. Those patients whose backs this industry is built off of, they can be a part of it. They, you know, can be benefiting and profiting from it because when those people are profiting, they're giving back. They're giving back in big ways. And that's what we need to see. And and how do you, I'm curious, your kind of thinking around, how do you fix a broken industry with industry? (laughs) You know, it's it's kind of this kind of catch-22, which is, you know, realizing that, you know, the the way kind of industry works and government works and kind of the the cozy relationship, you know, that they're going to have to keep certain structures and and policies and politics and laws and stuff in place like how do you how do you change that well you fight fire with fire and yeah. so i learned early on that you really can't change politics from the outside you have to change yeah. it from the inside and you also have to be willing to meet in the middle and you have to be willing to make some sacrifices of ego yeah. so for instance just to be a little personal here yeah. i'm very offended that i have to wear makeup and shave my legs for yeah. somebody to hear me Right. But if I'm going to go sit down with these conservative politicians, I will do my hair and do my makeup and dress a certain way. I'm willing to swallow my own pride and say, what are my battles here? Because you you have to choose your battle. What is most important to you? If you're trying to affect this, you know, change in certain ways, you've got to be willing to compromise. And what are you willing to compromise on? I'm not willing to compromise my integrity, Mm -hmm. but I am willing to meet in the middle on certain things. And so You know, with that being said, I do believe that this is not this is not an industry yet. It's not a fully formed Mm. industry yet. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a state by state, you know, laws differ. You know, it's just it's it's a weird place to be. The industry is like half formed. Right. So it's not necessarily industry fighting industry. It's a new industry. And if we can create just like going to Florida and trying to change the laws there and Florida has been a Republican supermajority for 30 years. For three decades, I felt like if we could do it there, then we could really help (laughs) Alabama and Georgia and go into these other southern states and say, this is how we did it. Let us help you Um, in Tennessee. Now, you know, looking to get some of these laws changed. We finally got them legalized. And then Dahlia's oil was being grown here in, in Tennessee for the last several years. So I think that if we can create the industry from community, if we can get some of these community members, and that's the point even of Entourage with um, housing this social use venue in the state of Florida. Yes, I want to give patients a place to come and say, you're accepted. You're not ostracized. We're not going to let these laws stifle, you know, your ability to be a human being. But also, but the point of something like that, where you would be bringing patients into this social atmosphere is also to to help them feel that they're a part of something. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly. not a profitable, you know, a private social club 
is not profitable. So no one's going to be making money. It's a member-owned type of club. And the point of that is just to let these patients know, hey, you have a say in this. These laws are, are written for you. Let's let you feel a part of this. And if people feel ownership, if they feel a sense of ownership, they don't lose hope. They don't stop fighting. And we really need to keep the momentum going so that once industry and community are pretty well bridged and pretty well merged, now we've got the passion and the advocacy and the voices, and we've got the money and the backing and the platforms and the structures. And if we can merge those two things, we're unstoppable. We have to stop the infighting. We have to stop the drama. We have to stop the lies. We have to stop profiteers, bad products. You know, people selling untested CBD products at vape shops or in gas stations. We've got to hold each other accountable because right now this is an unregulated industry without standardization. And so as tiring as it is, especially in my situation, I'm sitting here at a hospital with my daughter right now. I mean, this is a tiring situation to be in, but I will not stop because I feel so strongly about this from the bottom of my heart. My whole TED talk was on, you know, CBD at gas stations and Mm -hmm. untested products. I'm on the... um, I'm on the subcommittee for the Hemp Advisory Committee for consumer education because it's so important to me that consumers be educated. We worked hard to make this mainstream. And now that it's a hype, you're going to see profiteers coming in with bad, untested, unregulated products. And so I am accountable. Like I have to go educate consumers. So now that it is everywhere and it's exploded, consumers know how to buy something that's good and it's safe. Um, But I think that's just the thing is if you can get these people who really from the bottom of their hearts believe in this and you can merge them with those money guys and those investors and those people making millions of dollars at their dispensaries and we can see that bridge be made, we're going to be being able to pay these patients to go to D.C. and tell their story or pay these patients to show up at that conference, you know, mainstream cancer conference or, or health conference or science conference and tell their story. And these are the types of things that when you merge an industry with a community, that's how real revolutions are made, in my opinion. Yeah. So for the people listening to this who are in the industry, like what would you like them to do? What's something, what's an action you can request of them to help to help this change, to help make sure that we're really creating a cannabis industry that is going to be, you know, serving serving the people, you know, the, the best it can. What what are some things that you can ask of of the folks listening? Well, I guess, you know, the first two things would be, one, bring your talents to the show. There are a lot of people who feel like they have to become something they're not or weren't already. If you're talented at something, there is a place for you here. This industry, just like every other industry, has a place for entrepreneurs of all types. So if you were an attorney or you were a graphics designer or you were, you know, good at what you were good at, don't change the entire you know, mold just to come into this industry. Don't suddenly want to go back to school for botany. Bring what your talent is because we need that. We desperately need real talent, not fraudsters, not people who pretend to have done something for many years with no proof or evidence, but we need really talented people. And, you know, like I said earlier, see something, say something, but also do something. We are all accountable. I personally feel accountable every time I see something wrong. Does that mean that I have the time or energy to fix everything? Absolutely not. Like I say all the time, choose your battles. Mm -hmm. But when there's really an outpoint, figure out a solution. 
we need solution-minded people in this industry because thus far you have, you know, your profiteers over here and your complainers over here. <laughs> and in between is like all of these real problems that yeah. actually need to be fixed and no one coming out with these solutions. Yeah. Um, but I think thirdly and most importantly is just be a decent human being. I yeah. see these companies creating their own fake nonprofits to pretend like they're doing givebacks. Like it's gross. Yeah. It's sick. And if we need to start calling those people out, eventually we'll do it. Yeah. Nobody wants to do it because, you know, it seems kind of frivolous at this point. But if it continues and it gets worse at some point, you know, we're going to have to yeah. kind of take a stand. And I think that we're going to see an industry that really is held accountable. Yeah. The community is not going to be purchasing products in 10 years and in 15 years from companies with a bad reputation that didn't help, that didn't give back. I do think that we're going to see, um, you know, we've already looked at for over you know a decade, the numbers don't lie. The statistics on the amount of purchases and second customers and word of mouth customers based on companies that actually have a purpose and companies that are purpose driven and companies that have give back programs that speak to their demographic and target audience, you know, the numbers in this industry have have blown it out of the water in those re regards. So mm -hmm. really think hard about something that already exists. Don't go create something new and call it, you know, your give back. Go find someone who's been busting their ass for years and years. Yeah. Find real, you know, problem solvers nonprofits that are actually helping the world, people that are doing really good things for this industry and for legalization and put your money there, put your resources there. If you have platforms or stages or a voice to share, put it there and help those people. Yeah, Ryan, this has been a pleasure. Um, you know, obviously a, a powerful story, powerful work that you're doing. I, I think that you know, I think I think we people that are involved in the industry are are the people that are going to you know decide how the future shapes up. So I, I I resonate with your message, and I hope the people listening here really take it to heart to understand that look that how we conduct ourselves, the choices we make, you know, the integrity that we have is going to determine you know the the power of the cannabis industry on you know on all these problems and and, and the impact it's going to have on on society and on, on our culture in general. So this has been great. If, if people want to find out more about you about the work that you're doing. What's the best way to get that information? I've recently consolidated everything to, together in MariahBarnhart.com. I have too many projects and companies <laughs> going on. Uh -huh. um, so Mariah Barnhart, just as my name is spelled, .com. And um, from there, it's easiest to contact me because it comes directly to me. Perfect. I'll make sure that the link is in the show notes so people can click through and get that. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you for sharing the story, talking about you know what, what clearly you're passionate about and I think what is really important to this industry. So it's um, it's a really a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for all you're doing to share these stories and get this information out. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.